All right, what is up, everyone? Welcome into officially season two of Inside the Hoosier Mine. Uh, I know first season I didn't really stay consistent. The first year I tried doing this because of COVID. Uh, second year, kind of the same thing. I wasn't really able to stay consistent. Um, I started on kind of week two, but then I got into the sports network and more podcasting, so I wasn't able to stay consistent with it. But that's going to be the new theme of season two. I know we're starting pretty much at the end of week two, but we're going to stay consistent. I'm going to start recording and posting episodes every Tuesday uh, and posting them for Wednesday morning. Uh, Wednesday morning is also when I'll be actually recording a college football podcast uh, that I'm a part of. It's called Big Ten Plus Four. If you're interested, you'll probably have to spell out the plus, uh, but we mainly cover Big Ten football um, because obviously the SEC dominates regular football and a lot of the podcast as far as you know college football. So we like to incorporate the Big Ten because we're three Midwestern guys and we want to give you know college sports a Midwest perspective. But let's kind of dive in a little bit as far as the NFL in week two. And what we've seen this first two weeks, this first two weeks have been really interesting because we had a such a big offseason with all the offseason moves that happened. And now we're kind of starting to see some of those moves come to fruition. Um, probably the biggest one that surprises me is that the Raiders are struggling in the manner of which that they're struggling, even with Devontae Adams. They've lost two close games and you know, they lost to the Chargers. And then they end up actually blowing a pretty massive lead against the Cardinals. And, you know, it's it's they're already 0-2 to start, which is surprising considering the fact that you have Carr, you have Renfro, you have Waller, and you have Adams. On top of, you got Chandler Jones on the defense. You know, you, you bolstered a lot. Now, they released their first-round talent tackle, um, Alex Leatherwood, had a lot of penalties never really kind of panned out to fruition in in las vegas now he's with the bears and it's just so surprising that you know the raiders are that team that they're so close but it just seems like coaching is what's really holding them back and we said that a lot with gruden um obviously he got fired uh part way through the season last year and now josh mcdaniels is a coach and it's like okay well now how good is josh at being a coach since they're already starting out 0-2, but it's early in the season. Things can still be turned around. Things can still be remedied, uh, but that's kind of a big surprise. Not really too much of a surprise, though, is that the Packers are not doing great without Devontae Adams. They they lost week one pretty badly to the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, although Kirk Cousins has almost always done well against Aaron. Uh, if I remember seeing the statistic right, he's 5-4-1 against Aaron, so one of the few quarterbacks has a winning record against him. Uh, they beat him in Minnesota on top of that. And then, of course, the Packers rebounded to actually beat the Bears. Um, but not really discrediting the Bears too much because they gave the 49ers a run for their money in basically a, a mini tsunami. But it's still impressive that they were able to contain that type of a team overall when top to bottom, with the exception of the quarterback play, San Francisco is supposed to be the most complete team in the NFL as far as overall talent, depth, all of it. And the Bears were able to get a win over them. And even though the Packers won in a pretty dominant fashion, it's not like how they have been where they were dropping 30, 40 points on them uh, with relatively little to no issue. So got to give the Bears a little bit of credit. They're, they are on a lot of upswing. They have to fix their offensive line. Wide receiver talent needs a little bit of an upgrade. But 
coming into next season. They're going to have over $100 million in cap spending money. So, and this this year's cap, this year's you know free agency market wasn't really a big splash. Like a lot of these, a lot of these signings that happened were mainly trades. So it wasn't a whole lot of actual free agents out there to sign. And so luckily Chicago didn't get swept up in. We have to do this now. We have to be able to grab these people now. So I, I'm really glad that Chicago is like, no, we're this is going to be a long term thing. We need to do this right. Um, Ryan Poles, I think, is going to be a good GM. Same with Matt Eberflus. You know, I think I think this is the right combination of coach and general manager. Still a little bit of some questions on some of the moves that they made. Obviously, with you know the you know fourth and goal with inches and Justin Fields, you know, running it out of the shotgun. I don't know why you would ever do that. That you know that's not going to work. But you know, is is what it is. Um, you know, being a Cowboys fan, I do have to kind of mention, you know, Dak obviously got hurt uh, week one. Of course, that was game over from that point. And then week two, Cooper Rush actually beat the Bengals, which probably the most surprising thing out of all of this has been how well the defense has still been able to do, uh, mainly because of Micah Parsons. You know, Micah Parsons has made probably the biggest impact on this defense. And, you know, he, to me, he's going to be a lot like how Sean Lee was for a long time for any Cowboys fans that remember how Sean Lee used to be for that defense. When Sean Lee was on the field, it was a totally different team. When he was off, that's when the defense was probably at its worst. Um, then obviously Vanderish came in. He was supposed to kind of take over that role. Same with Jalen Smith. Both had really good years. And then of course, unfortunately, neither one have really panned out to where they're supposed to be. But Micah has been a little bit different because, to me, they're using Micah a lot like how they originally used DeMarcus Ware. He's a big pass rusher. He can do the spins. He can get to the quarterback. And he he's just an all-around monster for the defense. So really excited that they got him. Um, but other than that, I don't really have a whole lot to talk about with Dallas because it's kind of, kind of disappointing. You know, they traded Amari Cooper for a bag of peanuts. Gallup is going to potentially come back. CeeDee Lamb continues to drop balls. Zeke kind of looks like himself, not really. And then, of course, the O-line is still an issue. You know, Tyron Smith has been lost for the season. They did bring in Jason Peters. Um, I'm hoping Tyler Smith, because he's learning from Peters, it's going to, you know, reduce a lot of those penalties, which so far Dallas is still being penalized, but not nearly as bad as they were at one point. So there is some positivity there. But probably the biggest move that I want to touch on for the NFL that aggravates me to no end is Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. And the reason why this aggravates me is because when the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach, I said this, I don't know if I said it on this podcast, but I know I've said it on others. That was the biggest mistake that the Broncos could ever make by signing this man. Nathaniel Hackett does not have a track record of success ever. You know, the, the his biggest accomplishment is the fact that he was Aaron Rodgers, quote unquote, you know, offensive coordinator. And I say quote unquote because Nathaniel Hackett, I guarantee, was not calling the plays in Green Bay. So let's look at Nathaniel Hackett's past history of career. So UC Davis, he was their assistant linebackers coach at Stanford. He was the offensive slash defensive assistant to the coordinators. Uh, then he got upgraded to specialist slash recruiting coordinator. Then he got to the NFL as Tampa Bay's qual uh, offensive quality control. Then he ended up doing the same thing for Buffalo. Went back to college, uh, became the passing game coordinator slash quarterback and tight ends coach for Syracuse. Uh, then got upgraded to their offensive coordinator, 
but stayed their quarterbacks and tight ends coach. Then he went to Buffalo, was their OC. Jacksonville is their quarterbacks coach. Jacksonville is their OC. Now keep in mind, for Jacksonville, he's the quarterback coach from 2015 to 2018. He was part of the Jacksonville staff in some way or capacity. Jacksonville really only ever had one good year with that, and that was 2017 when they ended up going to the AFC Championship. Other than that, they haven't really been good. Then he, of course, gets his big break. He goes to Green Bay from 2019-2021, where their offensive coordinator, and now he is the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So, and of course, he's going to get credit because in 2020, the Packers were the league's best scoring offense. Now, how much of that is truly Nathaniel Hackett and how much of that is Aaron Rodgers? And this is the reason why I say this is because you look at what Matt LaFleur inherited with Green Bay. And I know I've, I've dug really deep into this before, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it. But as much as I don't like Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is overall a great quarterback in the NFL. He's had a lot of great weapons, and he is. He's overall, he's, he's a great athlete when it comes to being on the field. And he helped build Mike McCarthy. As we've seen with Dallas, Mike McCarthy is not a good coach. Matt LaFleur is, looks like a great coach because he's, what, 41 and 11 in his first four years as the Green Bay head coach. Now, this is just in the regular season. This is including the postseason. We all know how the postseason looks for the Packers. But he has a phenomenal winning record as an NFL head coach for the first four years. But again, how much of that is Matt LaFleur? How much of that is Aaron Rodgers? To me, it's more Aaron than it is Matt. And how all this ties into Nathaniel Hackett is when you look at the first two games of this Broncos season with Russell Wilson as his quarterback, which to me, I'm given 50-50 you know, 50-50 blame to both Hackett and Russ in this. So, very first game, they go to Seattle. And, of course, the infamous fourth and five at midfield, little over a minute left to play, had all three timeouts. Hackett lets the clock run down to 20 seconds, then decides he's going to kick a 64-yard field goal with Brandon McManus. Ended up being wide left. The Broncos lost. And, of course, now... You know, afterwards, oh, we definitely should have gone for it from Hackett. Yeah, you you paid Russell Wilson all this money, and you're not even going to attempt to go for it. Like, if it would have been, you know, fourth and five, you know, you go for it and you don't get it, everybody's going to say, okay, he at least went for it. He didn't try to kick a 64-yard field goal. You know, that's manageable. And even if you don't get it, you still have three timeouts. You could potentially get the ball back. May not be with much time, but you could potentially get the ball back. That would be better than running it down in 20 seconds and then kick a kick a ridiculously long field goal that not a whole lot of people have made to start with, much less making it in Seattle. Then they go on to face the Houston Texans, which to the Texans' credit, and of course I love Lovey Smith as a head coach, played extremely well, and they only won 16-9. to The Texans don't have a lot going for them as far as overall overall star talent. You have Derek Stingley, who is your you know number three pick from LSU. You have um, Brandon Cooks, who has been up and down, but you know, earlier in his years he was 
you know, a very good speedster wide receiver. Davis Mills is potentially your franchise quarterback to replace Deshaun Watson. And other than, oh, and you have a fairly decent but expensive left tackle in Laramie Tunzel. And that's about all you have. So the fact that Denver has Russell Wilson, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, you know, Noah, not Noah Fant, um, Tim Patrick on the offense, along with, you know, Williams and Melvin Gordon as your running backs. On defense, you have Bradley Chubb, you have Patrick Sertan. You know, you have good defensive pieces. And you struggle against them. And to me, it doesn't look like Russ. It looks like Russ is almost past his prime. Like, you know, we've seen Russ, you know, run around. We've seen him improvise, make these big deep throws, you know, run for the first down. Like, he's done all of this, and he's always been fantastic at it. And now it's like Russ said, I don't want to do that. I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw. I just can't get it there. Why? Why? And then there was a report that one of the Seattle players that used to play with Russell for a very long time said that in the Broncos game that Russ was using the same exact hand signals that he used for all the years that he was in Seattle. So you mean to tell me that in the offseason while you've been gone, you couldn't think of a way to repurpose some of these hand signals. Like, no, we're going to use the same exact thing. You know, you know, it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it type thing. You can't do that against your old team. You can't. That's the one time you got to do different because obviously they took advantage of it. And it LeBain Geno Smith look like, Oh, well I was, I'm the guy that was supposed to be, and I'm going to be the, the future quarterback for the Seahawks until they find somebody different. And this all leads back to Nathaniel Hackett, just being a, a terrible head coach. The only reason Denver got Nathaniel Hackett was because they wanted Rodgers. Green Bay wasn't going to get rid of Rodgers. They knew that. Like he he was unhappy, but Green Bay was going to do whatever they could to keep him. Like they weren't they weren't going to trade him. They would probably make him retire before they would ever let him be traded. And because they don't trust Jordan Love, because Green Bay sucks at drafting offense, whether they want to admit that or not. Still, the greatest thing to me ever as a Packers hater is that they drafted Jordan Love, went up to go get him, and he's pretty much an absolute bust, and it warms my heart to no end to know that 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 is the case. So, and a few other things as far as the NFL goes, the Colts have probably been a big disappointment for me. Um, Of course, being back here in Indianapolis, you know, kind of rooting for the Colts now, they just lost 24 to nothing against the Jags. And of course they tied with the Texans week one, causing, you know, Rodrigo Blankenship to get cut after week one for the kicking woes. And then they didn't even score a single point against Jacksonville. Um, you know, Matt Ryan doesn't look like Matt Ryan anymore. And I'm, and I'm really surprised because it, it's shocking at how good a quarterback can be one year. And then immediately the next year just look like a complete and total shell of themselves. And I feel like that's how Matt Ryan is right now. I thought, okay, they got rid of Carson. I kind of see the reason why they didn't really feel that he was the guy, even though statistically he did fantastic. You know, they, they wanted to move on. They felt like he was a mistake, which I, I can get that. But you, you get a guy that's older and you know a little bit more experienced. You think, okay, this, this is going to be the guy that gets us over the hump. First week, okay, you know, he's trying to get in touch with his receivers, a lot of young guys, he's trying to make it work. 
first week I'll, I'll give them a pass, you know, second week I expect better and not trying to even really discredit Jacksonville. I feel like Jacksonville did really well in this off season, you know, Doug Peterson as the head coach who's been proven. And I feel like he is a very good coach to start with. Uh, they kept it close against Washington uh, week one. And I thought they did really well. They got Evan Ingram. Uh, obviously the whole Christian Kirk thing is a little bit of a goof, but they, they retooled the offensive line. You know, they got a very good defense. You know, they got Trayvon Walker, uh, the number one overall pick. So th- this is a good young Jacksonville team. I'm not going to take anything away from them, but for Indy, you know, you still have one of the best offensive lines. You still have one of the best running backs and, you know, overall on paper and how they've performed, you still have a very good defense as well. And the, it's it's like they can't put everything together. And I've talked about this with a couple guys that are Colts fans. It seems like because of that, that they're going to be one of those teams that they're not going to be bad enough that they're going to lose a ton of games, but they're not going to be good enough to where you know they get into the playoffs. They're going to be probably about, you know, if we're looking at, all 32 teams, you know, one being the worst, you know, 32 being the best, like as far as draft order goes, Indy's probably going to be somewhere in the, you know, 15 to 15 to 18 range, like right there in the middle. Like, ah, eh, you're not bad enough to get a top 10 pick, but you're not good, at, but you're not good enough to have gone to the playoffs and made a deep run. So I'm hoping Indy's able to turn it around, but so far Indy has been a tremendously bad disappointment. And I'm really kind of upset that they've that they've done that to themselves. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. The Vikings, I was kind of you know underwhelmed with uh, last night against the Eagles. I watched that game. Kirk Cousins threw three interceptions, but of course, it's Kirk Cousins. It's Monday Night Football. We know Kirk is going to do that. And but I still I'm still going to go with my pick that the Packers are going to win the NFC North. Not the Packers. The Vikings are going to win the NFC North. I'll say that again. The Vikings are going to win the NFC North, not the Packers. Because um, to me, the Packers are not going to be able to overcome their you know, wide receiver woes. Yes, they have you know Cobb, they have Lazard, but that's not going to be able to make up for Adams. And if one of those guys is out or hurt, those rookies are going to have to step up. And so far, Rodgers has openly ousted them. And usually doesn't end well for these rookies if they're like, man, this veteran quarterback is going to call us out on national TV. Not even like, you know, he did it in private. If he did it in private, I wouldn't have an issue with it, but openly did it in front of a bunch of reporters. And so if I'm these wide receivers, I'm like, eh, no. Um, but the Vikings still have a good team. I just think this Philly team is better. This honestly, this Philly team has been the team I've been worried about all offseason. You know, when they got A.J. Brown, uh, when they got Davis from Georgia, and then, of course, they got N'Kobe Dean in the third round. Is like, man, on paper, this Eagles team is going to be scary. And I give Jalen Hurts a little bit more credit than a lot of other people did. You know, they he took the Eagles to 10 and 7. They went in the playoffs. They went to Tampa Bay. They ended up getting, of course, destroyed uh, in the playoffs. But he still was able to take them there when everybody had the Eagles basically being one of the worst teams in the NFL. So he's he's done a lot better than what people are going to probably give him credit for. Um of course, the Bills, to me, right now, the way the Bills have looked against the Rams and against the Titans, I'm going to have to say the Bills are going to be my Super Bowl favorites. I mean, they look absolutely unstoppable from top to bottom. Now, again, it's two weeks into the season. That may or may not change, but right now, as it stands, the Bills are my current favorites to not only make it to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl wholeheartedly. Now, a lot of people might say, well, you still have the Chiefs to deal with. That's true. 
you know, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to be there, but I feel like the Bills just right now, they would give the Chiefs a run for their money, mainly with the secondary. Um, the Titans, <laughs> Ryan Tannehill's era is coming to an end. You know, they they lost to the Giants week one, which is really surprising. And then they got destroyed by Buffalo yesterday. You know, they lost it. They traded A.J. Brown to the Eagles. Burks isn't bad, but you can tell that offense is not the same. And they're not feeding Derrick Henry. And I think Derrick Henry, I think the the overall specialty and you know magic and aura around Derrick Henry is now finally being realized. Because it's like, okay, everybody knows what Derrick Henry is going to do. Teams are going to plan for that. You know, you can get away with it for a couple of years, but then teams study it, they figure it out. And I think Derrick Henry's time is going to come to an end as far as being the perennial, you know, run over you type of running back that's, you know, going to run for 2,000 yards. And that's all the Titans have to do. So it's it's unfortunate, but I think it's going to happen. Um, and of course, the Giants are two and zero, surprisingly, for the first time since 2016. So six years they've finally been two and zero. This is also the first time uh, since 2016 they've had a winning record at any point in the season. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley looks like it's him again. Defense has been pretty good. The offense, to me, is still a little bit questionable. Um, but obviously, Daniel Jones is a big question mark and. And who knows, as a Cowboys fan, I hope they sign Daniel Jones to another year. I don't think they will. I think the Giants realize that they're they're going to be limited with Daniel Jones. They they have to realize that, that Brian Dable is going to be a very good coach. He's going to run a very well-run team, but he needs a quarterback. I just hope they're able to get the quarterback right um, when when it comes to draft time. But, but we'll see. Um, I do want to talk about a little bit of college football, though. Uh, before my show tomorrow morning that we record and then we post on Fridays. Um, man, college football has also been a huge surprise. Um, you know, the first first couple weeks, kind of a lot of what we expected. You know, Alabama, of course, rolls over uh, Utah State. Um, Michigan State has got a win. Michigan has looked incredible, but Michigan has faced the likes of Hawaii, um, UConn, and Colorado State. So that's just not even fair. Uh, but Jim Harbaugh did finally decide to pick a quarterback in uh, J.J. McCarthy, and Cade McNamara is actually hurt now. Um, so his only choice right now is J.J. McCarthy, his five-star quarterback, who that's who I think he should have gone with to start with at the beginning of the season. You know, that's your five-star. That's your guy that you want to keep around for a while and, again, attract other five-stars to your team not just, oh, we, well, Cade got us the Big Ten championship last year. Yeah, and you also had an incredible defense with Hutchinson and Ojabo, and both of them are gone in the NFL. So you might want to think about that. Um, of course, Ohio State has been rolling. Michigan State just lost to Washington. And this is probably the crazy part. So before that loss, Michigan State was ranked 11th out of the top 25. Now they're just completely out. That's what probably surprises me the most is it's like, okay, they didn't knock Michigan State down to like 25 or 24. No, they just completely took them out of the top 25. I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. You know, Florida unranked upsets week one against number seven, Utah. And you immediately bump them up to number 12. And Utah drops quite a bit, but not too bad. 
but Michigan State drops against a Washington team, and they're like, okay, Michigan State's just out. I, I don't, I don't understand that at all. That to me is just that's that's crazy. Um, I do want to touch on one thing though from this past weekend is that, well, not this past weekend, but weekend before last, um, Texas versus Alabama. And for any Alabama fans that listen to my podcast, I get you're happy because you won. And some of the more realistic Alabama fans will, will may or may not agree with me. This is not the Alabama team that I expect. You know, I'm one of those, I'm very critical of Alabama because of what Alabama has been able to do over the last few years. Alabama is the measuring stick. You know, they they took Texas down to the wire, ended up beating them by one point, 20 to 19. And, you know, Alabama fans can say they got the win, but it's like you you won, but you 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 can't say that you're the number one team of the nation. You you just can't. Like they they not the the AP poll knocked them down to uh, I think three um, and then they put them back up to two. They've they've been flipping them in Ohio State a lot, but they still have they have Georgia at number one. Um, but Ohio, not Ohio State, Alabama, to me, if there were any other teams that I would think are good enough to be put above them, I would I would put Alabama at like five, you know, after that game only because this is a Texas team that is unranked. A lot of the Texas team is freshmen. You know, these are guys that don't have a lot of experience and they took you down to the absolute wire. Like this is the, the Alabama team that I've heard so many Alabama fans say, this is the best Alabama team that has been around for a long time. And I don't know how you can say that because at one point you have had six first round wide receivers on your team, you know, first round talent everywhere on the ball and you lose all of that and the these for the most part are the same guys that played in the national championship that you lost and you're going to tell me that this Alabama team is better than last year's like there there's no way like at one point you had Jerry Judy you had Henry Ruggs you had um Devontae Smith you had uh, Jalen Waddle you had John Mechie, and you had Williamson. So you had six first-round wide receivers that have all gone on to be very successful so far in the NFL. And you, you mean to tell me that this Alabama team is better than them? No. I, I can't name you a single Alabama wide receiver. The running back is completely different from what it was last year. To me, the defense isn't the same because you, you lost to a Texas team that they not only lost their starting quarterback in that game, you hurt the backup and they almost beat you. This, this reminds me so much of last year's iron bowl game against Auburn. They did the exact same thing. Bonix was hurt. The backup quarterback comes in. He could barely walk and took Alabama into like three or four overtimes to finally win. And I'm like, this is an Alabama team. I can't take seriously. And I still can't take this Alabama team seriously. They're playing cupcake game. They, you know, the only real opponent that they faced so far in the first three weeks has been Texas and Texas took them down to the wire. So it really makes me wonder how Alabama is going to play against their fellow SEC opponents that are significantly better 
and are going to be used to playing them. Like this, to me, this Alabama team's really going to struggle this year. You know, they they may not again. It's still young into the season, but I would not be surprised if Alabama doesn't struggle. Um, the other thing we also found out is because Texas and Oklahoma are moving to the SEC in 2025, uh, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State will no longer be played. Um, which is unfortunate because it's one of those big time rivalries that's a college tradition. Uh, but I think scheduling wise, it's just not going to happen. Now you have, you know, 16 teams going to be in the SEC. Uh, there's talks that they're going to potentially do away with the divisions. They're going to potentially move in the pods, um, which I don't really like the pods idea because I think one of the pods that was theorized um, that I heard from an Alabama fan was Alabama. Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and I think Auburn was the other one. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Alabama gets a cupcake schedule again for the teams that are in their pod. I'm like, that's stupid. Um, And of course, they probably play some other teams um, from other pods in the SEC. But still, I'm like, no, like not saying you got to put all the heavyweights in one pod, like because then you're going to have somebody like Vanderbilt come out of surprise and, you know, you'll start winning and whatnot. But I'm just, I'm just not a fan, but it does kind of suck that we see one of these, you know, very good traditional games in the big 12 that are going to go away, but it's part of college football. It's part of, part of the whole new expansion, you know, the, the re, you know, reconference alignment, everything like that. So it, it sucks, but it is a part of the progression and it'll be interesting to see moving forward. All right, but the other thing that I want to point out, too, um, is talking about the college football playoff expansion, um, which there are talks about potentially implementing that a little bit sooner um, than I think 2026 is the official first year. I think it'll happen about 2024, maybe even sooner than that. Um, Actually, probably about 2024, mainly so that way... USC and UCLA will potentially, well, USC for sure, there's still a lot of question marks about UCLA being in the Big Ten or not. Even though I know that was announced, there's the Board of Directors, uh, not the Board of Directors, Board of Regent Directors uh, in California, uh, potentially blocking UCLA from moving. And a lot of that is because they want basically all of the California public schools as far as like the big names of the Power Five. Um, So Cal... Um, UCLA uh, to all be able to go to the Big Ten as well. I think a lot of it too is they want part of that revenue because California's broke. They need a lot of money. USC and UCLA are going to make a lot of money because of the TV contracts and whatnot. Um, And then of course, you know, just shortly after that as well um, in the SEC in 2025, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in there. So to me, I think they want to expand it now just so that way it's a big money grabber. You know, when you look at the 14 playoff right now, you know, and we can even take last year's teams as an example, you had Alabama, Georgia, um, Michigan, and Cincinnati. You know, so your three biggest names there was Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan. You know, Cincinnati, they eventually just let Cincinnati in because of their record and because I feel like people were just going to throw an up, you know, an upset, you know, uproar about it if they didn't. And a lot of it just comes down to, you know, money from the big games. You know, when you're having the college football playoffs with four teams, you know, what are probably the biggest teams that you want to throw in there? You got to have Alabama, you got to have Ohio State, 
you got to have Georgia and, you know, Clemson, Michigan. Um, I wouldn't even include Notre Dame, uh, Texas, USC, you know, Oklahoma, you know, Florida, some of these bigger name team, you know, LSU, some of these teams that are big brands, big names, and have massive followings across the country. Because even though Cincinnati was good, I think Cincinnati deserved to be in it. Cincinnati's not really a big market. Pretty much outside of Ohio, and Cincinnati probably had a few Ohio State fans rooting for them because you know they don't they don't face each other hardly at all. Um, and you know Ohio State wasn't in the playoffs; they ended up being in the Rose Bowl, which was a phenomenal game. But you know they weren't really going anywhere from there. Um, it's all about big market, big money, big names. So if they expand it, you can get more of these teams in. And to me, it makes it a little bit more interesting, makes it a little bit more fun. Uh, they're even talking about a lot of these teams, the first four teams. So kind of in the old traditional format of whoever the top four teams are, they get a buy. And then the other teams that have to play each other. And then obviously the lowest seed would face the number one seed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, I feel like it's a, it's a great idea, um, to expand. I know a few people aren't necessarily big fans about it because, okay, you, you know, you're, you're opening the playoffs. Well, why not, you know, just expand it to this so that way everybody has a chance. Yeah. Yes. And no, to me, when it comes to the top 12, that's really your kind of cream, cream of the crop teams. Like, you know, everybody can, you know, the top five for the most part, usually pretty interchangeable sometimes, you know, it, well, not as much now with college because it's a little bit different, but, you know, we'll, we'll look at the top three teams right now, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, you can maybe interchange some of those depending on who you are. You can probably make an argument for each one of them uh, that, you know, this person, this team deserves to be one, this team deserves to be two, this team deserves to be three. And then after that, everybody's kind of like, eh, you know. Notre Dame, um, what, Michigan, to me, Michigan's not really four because they haven't played anybody. Yes, they've won and they've dominated who they've played, but they're supposed to. I mean, they faced UConn. UConn doesn't really have a football team. You know, Colorado State always gets beat up on. Um, they're also a group five school. And then, you know, you beat um, you beat Hawaii. Like, again, you're, you're not beating anybody any important. So, I mean, that doesn't make Michigan the fourth best team in the country. Um, same with, I think, Clemson is five. I don't really see, or Oklahoma might be five. I don't really know which. It, the, it, no. <laughs> Neither one of those teams have really faced anybody that kind of is kind of like, ooh, wow, yeah, they deserve to be in that, that ranking. No, no. When, when this conference play starts this weekend, you know, more of these teams facing their actual conference rivals, then we'll have kind of a better idea of, you know, where some of these teams should be ranked and whatnot. Um, but I like the idea of the playoffs. It, it makes it more interesting. It gives more teams more of a chance. And even with the whole, you know, conference realignment with, you know, the SEC and Big Ten basically becoming the two big powerhouses of college football, um, it does give a little bit of a chance for some of these other conferences to be saved. You know, the Pac-12 could potentially have members finally back in, you know, the college football playoffs. The ACC could finally have um, representation, which that is the other thing that they mentioned that, you know, if they expand to 12, that basically the five conference champions would have 
uh, guaranteed spot. So, you know, conference champion for the Big 12, the SEC, the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Um, I, I believe they said six. I'm assuming that's, you know, whoever is the best, um, whoever's the best conference champion out of the group five schools, which to me kind of makes sense because then, okay, you can have a little bit of a rotation. You know, say the Sun Belt does really well, which this past couple weeks, this, <laughs> the Sun Belt did fantastic. Um, and even upset a few of the big power for the big power five teams. Um, you know, the, the Mac can kind of come in there. The mountain Western, you know, the mountain Western conference can kind of get in there. Um, you know, the AC, the AAC can get in there. So it, it opens it up a lot more for, um, the, these schools to kind of get representation in. Um, and then of course it does give other teams, other conferences chances to show, to show their play. Because, I mean, you think about it. How often does the Big 12 play anybody that's actually good outside of themselves? Not very often because not many of them even get a chance to go into the playoffs. And, of course, some people may or may not include bowls, but if you're a true college football fan, you know, bowl games are pretty much useless. You know, a lot of your juniors and seniors are probably going to be out either declaring for the draft, uh, either declaring for next year because it's a bowl game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't help your standings. doesn't help. You know, draft is it doesn't help any of that. It's just another game for you to potentially get hurt. Heck, even coaches don't even have to be at the bowl games. Um, obviously, we saw that Brian Kelly left for LSU. He didn't even coach Notre Dame. Same with um, Lincoln Riley. Bob Stutes came back in for one game to coach Oklahoma. Um, so that, that it, it happens a lot. So these bowl games are, are kind of useless. So it gives these teams, you know, something more to play, you know, something more to play. It makes, just makes the game overall a little bit better. Um but yeah, that's pretty much everything I have, everyone. Um, appreciate y'all tuning in. Hope y'all are excited for season two as much as I am. Um, I've loved doing this podcast. I've loved being able to do this, being able to talk sports. Please let me know what y'all think. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can find me uh, pretty much on every major podcast, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can catch me here. You can catch me on the All Sports, All Plays Network. Um, you can also catch me on Big Ten Plus Four. Uh, it's Big Ten, spelled plus four. Um, on Friday mornings, we talk mainly Big Ten college football. Uh, you can catch me there on their on their platforms as well as uh, on the ASAP network as well. Uh, but again, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Hope you all enjoyed it, and I will see you all next week uh, for a recap of the third week of the NFL season as well as a recap of college football. So hope you all enjoy it. Everybody have a good night and peace.